just honored to be able to continue with this series of sermons, Prison Break. Uh, we've just had a, it's been a great month. I love the book of Philippians. It's got to be one of my favorite books in the New Testament. And uh, be able to hear from Susie Larson, from our lead pastor, Nate, and, and just the wisdom that God has brought into our lives uh, from, from Paul as he writes from a prison cell. That's the reason uh, that we have this prop up here on the platform. And like uh, you saw in the announcements we've got, next week is the conclusion to this series, and it's going to be with Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge at both campuses live. If you have uh, friends or loved ones that are going through a season of, of being in a cycle where they're not able to break out or they're struggling with an addiction, uh, Pastor Rich Sherber, the director of Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge, has said, make sure you bring those friends uh, next Sunday. This is going to be a powerful moment. If, if you've ever been to one of these, you, the stories, the testimonies, and just God is going to show up, that could be a, a life changer, a destiny changer for your loved one, for your friend. So make sure you bring them next Sunday. Also, right now, we have um, a team that has arrived to Italy, and one of our mission t- uh, t- teams that's headed out, got a team that's arrived to Colorado as well, and then we have a, a group that's heading out tomorrow at 7 a.m., families from both campuses that are going to be going to uh, Camp Noah Indian Reservation in South Dakota, minister to kids and youth over there. So great things are happening in our church, amen? I want to encourage you to continue, uh, continue pursuing God and the great things he's doing both here locally and then globally as well. Amen. Let's go to Philippians chapter four. If you'll look for it there with me. Uh, today we're going to talk about learning freedom. Sometimes freedom comes as, a, as an instant, as a gift. Uh, it just kind of uh, crashes our reality and breaks us loose. And sometimes we learn freedom and God wants us to uh, keep that freedom. So that's why he takes us through a process uh, as well as through events. It says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you don't have the chance to help me. I know not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live with on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is uh, on a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, the Philippians were the only ones who gave me uh, financial help when I uh, first brought you the good news when they traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. I always have difficulties with uh, uh, biblical names. I know that's only me though. That doesn't happen to you. (laughs) They are a sweet smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God, look at this, who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Let's just take a moment and ask God to uh, Speak into our life and and prepare our heart to receive his word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much 
for your word, for your voice. It's effective, God. It's, it's powerful. It, it never comes back void. It produces the results that you send it out uh, to accomplish. Your voice created the heavens, created the earth, everything in them. And God, we ask that your voice would speak into our lives today and that you would create uh, the truth and the reality that you have planned for us. Lord, we open our hearts to receive, to embrace, uh, Lord, to, to, uh, to grab hold of your voice and your word for our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Great portion of scripture. We're going to dive into that in just a moment, but I wanted to mention something uh, that happened this week. Friday was Analia and, and uh, my 16th anniversary, and uh, she's clapping to me, so I'm going to clap for her as well. There we go. And uh, we knew Friday was going to be a busy day because kids were coming back from camp. First time we've sent them both. My brother-in-law, Pablo, is, he arrived uh, to visit us for a couple weeks. He was coming in on Friday. So it wasn't likely going to be the best evening to make it kind of a romantic evening. Uh, there's just going to, you know, mom and sister mode was going to be kicking in. And so I decided to uh, take advantage of the fact kids were in camp. And we did a quick getaway up north and uh, headed out Wednesday and stayed through uh, Thursday, drove back. And, uh, and so we made it out. I know it's bad luck to celebrate before time, you know, but, it, you know, we did it anyway. And uh, went up and, 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 and stayed in, uh, in, in Tofty. And you might ask, well, which, uh, which of the trails did you guys hike? And uh, I wish I could tell you we hiked a single trail, but we didn't. We hit up all of our favorite restaurants and coffee shops <laughs> up along the North Shore. Bluefin Grill, uh, we went to uh, also in Grand Marais to the Angry Trouch, uh, went to, uh, on the way back, Nanny Bougie, we weren't hungry, but we had to stop there anyway and get coffee and cheesecake, and then uh, on the way back uh, through Duluth, new, um, the new scene at Cafe, great spot, and uh, so we, we came back with great memories and a couple extra pounds, and... Um, <laughs> While we were up there, we did something that we hadn't done yet, and uh, we actually visited the Grand Portage uh, National Museum, way far up north, almost heading into, into Canada. And uh, we stopped in there, and we're like, okay, do you guys have any food here or not? And, uh, <laughs> and, and it was just a big fort with teepees all over, and people dressed up like a couple hundred years uh, ago, what it looked like, and, and they're grilling fish and, and, and weaving baskets and stuff. And, and so we got a grand tour, and we're immersed in this, in this, uh, you know, this, this stage of, of northern Minnesota history. Uh, the, the Northwest Company uh, would send out workers, and this was a time when, when uh, there was fashion in Europe that was driving uh, a need uh, to continue to explore and get, above all things, beaver skins. Beaver skins were a high commodity, and no one in Europe uh, could look good unless they had a beaver skin top hat. And so I've got a, a picture right there. You don't see many of these uh, on the street anymore. You can find them on eBay. They're kind of expensive. But these things, after that tour guide, I'm seriously considering one of these. Uh, these things, they're waterproof because beavers are waterproof. And so <laughs> you can wear them in the rain, in the snow. It's just, they're amazing. They're fashionable. They're, they're, look at this next slide. This is like, these are... There's some models uh, from that time. 
Guys with the top hats on are happier than the guy that doesn't have a hat on. Notice that. Mark, it's all in the marketing, okay? So what happened was Europe was needing beaver skin top hats. They needed them. It wasn't a want. It was, this was a need. They, you can't do without it. You, could, you know, if that's the only thing I got to wear, I need my beaver, hen, beaver skin top hat. And, uh, and so that drove uh, the, the uh, Northwest Company to start exploring kind of the, the you know, Lake Superior and some of the, 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 the region up in northern Minnesota, Canada. And they were, they were out getting all these uh, hunting beavers and getting their skins. And in this uh, Grand Portage was kind of a trading center. And they would come and they would, they would exchange. And, and, and the currency they used there in this great banquet hall. And they would, you know, they had accommodations and they would trade with the, uh, with the natives and, and uh, all, all kinds of different things that were described. The currency they used was beaver skins. And so if you wanted to buy a new canoe, it was uh, 30 beaver skins. Now, they didn't only use beaver skins, they also used skunk skins, okay? But 10 skunk skins equals one beaver skin. If you needed some useless uh, trivia this morning, that's it, okay? Uh, you can have that for free. And uh, so it costs about, you know, a bunch of skunks to be able to buy a, a canoe. And, uh, and, and it just got me thinking, okay, good things happened because explorers went out and they kind of mapped the region and, and it populated this area and thus the North Shore and, and uh, you know, a lot of the great things here. But a lot of lives were invested into this fashion statement that we just looked at a little bit ago, which is no longer around. And, and so many things hinged around this, this uh, ambition to have weatherproof hat wear. And, uh, and, and, and what happened was 200 years later, things have shifted. And went 200 years from now, Lord Tearing, they'll probably talk about uh, you know, how silly our obsession with cell phones was. And, uh, and, and, and just, or Bitcoins or whatever else is going on. There's this thing about uh, material possessions that can really end up kind of hijacking our decisions in the direction of our life. And Paul speaks into that, and that's what we're going to look at today as we are, are heading into learning this freedom. I want, I want to remind you, Paul is writing to the Philippians, this is a, and it's an extended thank you note. He's uh, received gifts from them throughout his travels and ministry, and now as he's in prison, he's saying, hey, that guy, Epaphroditus, that took me a little while to pronounce, thank you guys, you sent some great gifts, I love, I love the... Uh, the, the ginger tea and the toffee that you guys sent or whatever they sent with him. Uh, they, they're taking care of his needs. Remember, Paul is the one who planted the church in Philippi. This is the first church in the European continent. The first believer in the European continent was a businesswoman named Lydia. She, she sold and traded uh, purple uh, cloths, very expensive cloths. And, and she's down by the river and, and Paul meets her and at, at the hour of prayer and she believes in Christ. She ends up hosting them and, and a church is planted out of that. Things are going great. Things are, are, are wonderful. And this city, Philippi, is known for being, uh, a, 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 it's, it's the destination of anyone who's retiring from Roman military. So they pride themselves in being very Roman. They're like, hey, yeah, we live in Macedonia, but we are Roman at heart, you know? And so Paul has to write to them. When you read the Philippian letter, you're like, okay, so that's why he keeps on saying, remember, you guys are citizens of heaven. Your primary identity is the kingdom of God, not the country of your residence, not this, this point of history 
Because Macedonia is no longer Roman territory today, uh, but the kingdom of of God lasts forever, right? So that's, that's a good word for us as well, right? Our primary identity in this age of of, of, of shifting and changing and shaking and sifting, our primary identity derives from the kingdom of God. How many say amen? That's our identity. That's our citizenship is in, in heaven. And Paul is, is writing to them. And as I'm kind of reading through this week, I discovered a nugget that I wanted to pass on to you guys. Look what it says uh, in, the, in the account. Everything's going great. Remember, he's teaching Saturdays on the Sabbath in the synagogue and people are receiving the word until there's an incident that, that, that it, it's like it pushes a button and things just go upside down and it just, things get violent when he hits this nerve. Let's look at Acts chapter 16, verse 16. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. So she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Deliverance, freedom, breaking out. You'd think the master was really excited, but look what it says in verse 19. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted it to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. And then the story goes on. Paul and Silas are singing at midnight. There's an earthquake. He delivers them. The jailer who's about to kill himself ends up accepting Christ. His whole house is baptized and saved. And then revival breaks out in the city of Philippi. And then they go on to the next city. Okay? You guys read the rest of the chapter. It's great. But what really caught my attention this time around is the fact that when this slave's master's pocket was messed with, that pushed a button that just provoked him to an anger and a violence and a reaction that, that, uh, that, that was very different from the atmosphere that Paul had experienced before in Philippi. And it really led me to wonder and think how I respond when my dreams and hopes of wealth are messed with. And then it made me think about asking you this morning, how do you respond when your hopes and dreams and aspirations and ambitions and greeds and covetousness and envy are messed with when it comes to material wealth? Is there a button that gets pushed that, that, that shows us that there's something that is maybe deep down ingrained into our hearts that, uh, that we are unwilling to surrender, turn over to God. This is a great moment for us to do kind of an internal audit. Put your fingers on your, on your wrist, take your pulse, pull out your blood pressure cuffs if you brought them, 
and, uh, and just and see how things are going. You know, when we, when we talk about issues of money, that, you know, just kind of monitor yourself. How do you react when you hear topics that include material wealth and money, even in church? Jesus never shied away from that topic. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But often when, we, when this is addressed, we're like, oh, no, I was okay with everything else until you mentioned that. And, uh, and, and by the way, we're not going to end today's service in an offering so you can relax <laughs> and just enjoy what God would say to you. But I want you to consider what happens. Is there something that gets stirred up inside of us? Now, I love that the, the Philippian church, as, as, uh, as Paul is writing them, they've learned how to live a different reality. Not, they're not stuck in, the, in that culture of ambition. A mob quickly formed. It wasn't a single guy. This, the culture, the, the community of Philippi was so obsessed with their hopes for wealth that they were not going to let anyone mess with that. You would think that they would have celebrated the freedom, the deliverance of a slave girl's soul. But what ended up happening is it showed that there was a bondage that ran deep in the hearts of that master. Now, what is the problem? Is it, is it actually money that's the problem? My kids and I have had this conversation before. They're like, why, is, why are dollars green and you know, currency from other countries? They have the weirdest questions. Sometimes I know how to answer. Sometimes I just make stuff up. Um, but <laughs> they're like, why can't I rip this dollar in half? And I was like, that's illegal. You can't break or burn money. And they're like, why? Who makes that rule? And what is money anyway? And I love their you know, just you know, philosophical uh, stance that they come up with, you know, as we're talking. But the money is not the issue. We could be talking about dollars or euros or beaver skins, whatever you want. But it's not the, it's the love of wealth that's the issue. Paul would say in 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierce themselves with many sorrows. It's, if, if, if material possessions get a hold of your heart, of my heart, then we end up becoming in prison just like the slave master was. Now, as we're looking at, at this incredible uh, prop that we've enjoyed over the past couple of weeks, you know, we're, we're thinking in terms of uh, any situation which, which is broader than just uh, financial restrictions or difficulties, because it could be, this cage could be debt, and then you would feel like you're in here, and then you got water that's rising with the interest, and you're like hanging on to try to breathe out the top. This cage could be your own uh, hopes for wealth, that you're unwilling to negotiate with God, and they have become kind of a, a roadblock in your faith. You're not able to advance. It could be your, your it's not a matter of, of, of the amount, it's a matter of where your heart is at. It's not the circumstance that's engaging you. It's, it's your heart's condition. Where are your values? Where is your life? And remember, God is often gonna change your heart before he's gonna change your circumstance. Now, this cage can also represent uh, things that we prayed about just earlier, you know, uh, you know relationships that are fragmented or, or broken, like Pastor Nate talked about. Uh, it could be, uh, it, it, th there could be uh, sickness, there could be an addiction, there could be th different things that seem to imprison us. And as we're in a situation where we're caged in like this, we need to always call out to God to have that breakthrough. I want, you know, the, 
that the Son has come to bring freedom, and he who the Son sets free is free indeed, right? And he has given us the truth so that the truth will set us free. God did not send his Son so that he would die and we would continue to live in slavery. But even though God has opened the door, often we're like, no, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of accustomed to this. I'm starting to like the, uh, the feel of, uh, it doesn't feel so cramped or claustrophobic anymore. In fact, I'm getting kind of cozy as I'm in here. And uh, I'm not as worried about getting out as I am about just kind of getting cozy at a heart level. Is anyone coming? Very useful. Look at that. That's a shiny forehead. Might as well make myself at home. It's always good to have some green. There we go. That'll work. I'm waiting to do that all morning. And uh, of course, you know, since I'm not going to get to go anywhere, might as well hang the names of all kinds of cities throughout the world on my wall. There we go. And, uh, and we lose our aspirations and hopes to actually live the life of freedom that God has bought for us. And we say, you know what? Maybe it's not so bad. Maybe I can get accustomed to this. Maybe I can just get kind of cozy and and preach the rest of my sermon like this. (laughs) Can the production get a camera right up there so I don't have to like (laughs) turn my neck or anything? And uh, this is the thing. The worst decision we can make is to get cozy with our bondage. The worst decision we can make is to give in and give up and get cozy with the chains that enslave us. Jesus came so that we can have freedom and so we can be free indeed. Amen. Now, as we are, are going through this series, like I said, it can, this, this can represent all kinds of different needs. It's not only financial. But I want to specifically talk about this because Paul addresses it. God wants us to have help. He wants us to break free from, from chains of debt or, or, or from, from bad decisions. And, and I love that he says, I have learned through all circumstances. This isn't something you're born with. It's not just for a few. That's the good news. You can learn this. How many say amen to that? That's the hard news. You've got to learn this. It doesn't, you don't just get it at, at, the, at the soda machine. You know, you got, it's something you need to practice. We've got, we believe in walking with people as, uh, as, as people take steps of freedom and affirm that. Uh, as a church, we want to come alongside just uh, one of the recent groups that did the Dave Ramsey's uh, financial freedom 
10 weeks. Uh, they, with seven families, 26 to 45 year old average. They eliminated in that 10 week period, $45,000 of debt. Uh, one family, $9,000 of debt. They were able to adjust and change the direction of their decisions when it came to finances. We've, we have incredible resources. We're gonna have that class again in, in the fall, but even right now during the summer, if you go to, Pastor Phil, help me out, manualcc.org slash right now media. Um, there's some great resources there. You got God's economy versus man's economy and from Crown Financial, eliminating debt from Crown Financial, Dave Ramsey, uh, resources all for free through your church uh, at right now media. But see, here's the thing. You will have practical tools and you will have help and you will have encouragement, but the decisions of the heart are still yours. And you can't make decisions for me, I can't make them for you. I love what Jesus said. He did not shy away from this. He was very specific. He would say in Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. If you ever get a chance, look through beyond just, you know, the efforts to budget and manage money. Look through your spending habits. Every receipt every time you swipe that card or bump that phone, every time represents a decision that we've made. It's a decision based on a commitment we made, it's a decision based on a need, real or perceived, it's a decision based on, uh, on, on an impulse. We're really good at talking ourselves into, you know what, I, I really deserve this, right? We get this kind of that little entitlement thing, those are decisions. It's a decision based maybe on, on, on a passion that you have or on, you know, like we said, real needs. But all of those are decisions. Our money goes where we end up deciding. We do have obligations, but we are the ones who end up deciding where our treasure goes. And those reveal the direction of our heart. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The great question to ask here is, uh, is money serving us as we serve God or are we actually serving money as a master? Serving the appetite for, for, for wealth uh, as, as our, our God, our money. Matthew 13, uh, there's this parable of the seed and the sower, remember that? And, uh, and Jesus talks about a seed that falls by the, the roadside and there's birds that come up and, and pluck it up and then he would later explain, he says, that's, that's the devil. He comes and with doubt takes away the implanted word of God's kingdom. And then there's other seeds that fall and they don't, they're, they, they, they're too shallow in the roots and then when the sun comes and difficulties, people who have embraced the word of God and the truth with joy, they're not able to weather the difficulties and it dries up. And then there's a third category of seeds. And it says in Matthew 13, 22, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out, suffocated by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. 
Not only the enemy can attempt against God's uh, voice and purposes in our lives, the lure and the anxieties of, of temporary material possessions can end up uh, bringing us down to and asphyxiating that word. Uh, Luke 12, 15, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Is that not a good verse? Life is not measured by how much you own. And I love one of the, the, the favorite teachings of Jesus, actually an event that happened to him in Matthew 19. We have the rich young ruler comes to him. Someone came to Jesus with a question, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not falsely uh, testify, honor your father and your mother, love your neighbor as yourself. These are all the horizontal people-related commandments. I've obeyed all of these commandments. He had a great grin and a little, kind of got a little proud, I'd imagine, at that point. The young man replied, what else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, Go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I love this moment of decision and the rich young man is so close and he's got the right attitude and he's got the right hopes and desires. And, and Jesus notices that in his specific life, this isn't something Jesus would ask everyone who came up to him, but he said, there's something that's kind of standing in the way of you living everything that God has for you. It's your possessions. You're too attached to them. They, 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 they're actually becoming your master. You need to go, sell them all, and then, and then once you've given to the poor and you've practiced generosity, then come and follow me. And I love that Jesus invited and didn't, uh, he didn't uh, impose this. He didn't like signal one of the disciples to hit him with a club over the head and kidnap the guy to become a follower. He said, you're welcome to come. It's going to cost you everything, but you're welcome to follow me. And he hung his head and walked away sadly because he was unwilling to give everything that he owned. Who owned who? I love that Jesus didn't negotiate and say, wait, 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 hey, no, okay, okay. Um, sell 50% and follow me on weekends. How does that sound? <laughs> he didn't. He's like, hey, this is the cost. You need, you know, this is, the, this is what it is. And it's not for your possessions. It's because this is standing in the way of your freedom to live the full life that God has for you. Now, it's be, let's be clear. It's not about the money. It's about the place money uh, holds in, in, in our hearts. It's about where we've, we've allowed money to creep into our hearts. And I love what we read from, from Paul in that, in that portion we read at the beginning. He's got three different, very distinct things that he, he uh, teaches us, that he's learned. And these are freedoms that we need to learn as well. The first of them, learn the freedom of contentment. Learn the freedom of contentment. 
the greatest wealth is to live content with little. That's what Plato would say. Uh, here's a little less uh, philosophical one. It's fun though. Pablo Picasso. I like to live as a poor man with lots of money. Genius. Okay, but both Plato and Picasso are talking about contentment in terms of an amount. And what we learn from scripture is different. Contentment is an attitude of the heart. With abundance or with an empty stomach, you can live content. It's harder to live with abundance, Jesus said, than it is to live with little. Because that abundance can get in the way of your faith. And what Paul is saying is learn through every circumstance. There will be seasons where we will be, maybe have chapters and, and you know, hopefully the chapters on this side will be a little longer, okay? But we will go through every different circumstance and our heart needs to be independent from what is going on, from the amount of cash we have stored away in our bank accounts. I have learned to be content with whatever I have, Philippians 4.11. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret, secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. How can you do it? Through Christ who gives you strength. He can give you contentment, independent from the circumstance that you're going through. 1 Timothy 6, uh, 6 says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we have brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can take nothing with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. It's not about the amount, it's about the direction of our hearts. And what does contentment look like? It looks like it, it, it doesn't envy or covet uh, the Joneses uh, stuff. It, it, it's able to get excited with the prosperity or accomplishments of others. It breathes gratitude. It focuses on the big picture, on eternity, on what, on what real treasures, true treasures are. That's what contentment looks like. You're not born with it. I'm not born with it. We need to learn it today. We need to take hold of this and say, that's the outlook I want to have on life. Amen? I just hope we don't get a mob forming right after this and I get severely beaten or something like that. Second, learn the freedom of generosity. I love that Paul, in, in the verses 15 through 18, he commends them. He's aware of every time they have expressed generosity. And he says, well done. You are, you're, you're, you've recognized the opportunities to be generous. You've, you haven't replicated the culture that surrounds you, the values of the culture around you. You've, you've given above and beyond yourselves. Are we recognizing our opportunities to be generous? Are, when we are met with these opportunities, do we find loopholes to get off the hook? Or have we already prepared our hearts? Are we predisposed to generosity? Or are we predisposed to excuses that let us off the hook? I love the question that shows up in scripture often. What do you have in your hand? God asks that really often. You never see God say, I really wish I could use you, but you're kind of low on the resources and, and, and talents that I need. So sorry, 
I'll call you back. (laughs) You don't hear God saying that, right? He's always like, hey, don't worry about what you don't have. What do you have in your hand? I can use you with that. Just believe me. Be generous. Pastor G. Mark Dennis kept on saying all the time, generosity will keep money from creeping into your heart. Amen. Every, in faith, every expression of generosity is an act of worship. In faith, every expression of generosity is a statement of gratitude. In uh, faith, every expression of generosity is also a step of faith. And that leads us into our final uh, lesson that we need to learn on living free is, is trusting God. We need to learn the freedom of trusting God. Let me read that verse uh, 19 from Philippians 4. And this same God, underline this, highlight it, do something with it, who takes care of me will supply all your needs. How many needs? All your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say God will supply all your needs Depending on where the pound lands after this whole European uh, Union mess. Uh, his economy is independent from whatever we're experiencing. It's, it doesn't hinge on the price of gas or of beaver skins. His economy is greater. It's eternal. He will take care of all of your needs according to his riches in glory. Not according to our economy that we're living on this horizontal plane. He will take care of you. So why not trust him? Isn't that just like the, uh, the message uh, that God sent that the wrapper for the manna in the desert? God said, hey guys, don't take Ziplocs to pick up your manna uh, in the morning. You're not going to need like a, like a to-go box or anything like that. I will show up tomorrow. Do you know God's going to show up tomorrow? And yet we want to, we, we're, we're finding, like, yes, you came through. Thank you, Jesus. And I better keep some just in case you forget or there's not enough or something happens in the economy of heaven. But we can trust him. Jesus said to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And I want to, I want to end, you know, on this statement on trusting God. This is something we learn. Trust is built through walking in a relationship. Matthew 6, 31 says, So don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries, today's troubles are enough for today. Amen. Let's stand together at both campuses. Today at a time, today at a time, we need to learn the freedom of contentment. A day at a time, we learn the freedom of living a generous life. A day at a time, we learn the freedom of truly trusting him. The heart of a follower of Jesus should have no room for uh, anxiety and, and, and should have, I mean, there, there's going to be moments, but we bring that before him and we decide to trust him above locking ourselves up in a cage of anxiety. 
It shouldn't have room for, for, for coveting, for ambition, for greed. Because sometimes we want to hoard up more just to feel safe, just in case. But then that ends up replacing the place that God has to have in our life. And we're trusting our own resources more than we're able to trust him. And we stand at the same place that rich young ruler stood. And we've said, God, we've done, we've done a lot to follow you. We've, we've, we're sincere. We've got the best intentions. God, you know that. Lord, what else? And God would say, make sure there's nothing that stands in the way. Give up that last idol. Don't, don't legitimize uh, greed or, 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 or the hope or ambition for wealth that's, that's outside of, of trusting me. Give it up, leave it, and follow me. Now within this room, we have people, you know, that's the beauty of the family of God. We got people with all kinds of different stories. Some are, are at that place where you're kind of hanging and, and just breathing out the, the ceiling of your, of, of your circumstance. Others are, you're, you're more in the category of, of God, you know, like speaking just like Paul did to the Philippians and saying, well done, you're experiencing exactly, I commend you, keep it up, good work. And then a lot are right in the middle between those two extremes. Wherever we're at, Whatever challenge we may be facing, be it financial, parenting, relational, doubts, fears, physical needs, wherever we're at, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. How many say amen to that? We can do all things through Christ. You don't have enough strength? Good, because he's got enough strength for you to be able to do it. He, He will walk with you and you will get through this. I want you to repeat this with me, this verse. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Let's do that again at both campuses. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. In just a moment, I want to pray that verse 19, that God would take all of your cares and concerns and that you would know that he is with you and he will supply for all your needs. And then we're going to take a moment to sing and affirm that truth. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would that you would visit the reality of every single man and woman, every individual at this campus, at Maple Grove, God, and that you would show us that you are trustworthy. Lord, that you are not only aware of our needs, but that you are also present. You are not distant. You will show up every morning and your mercies will be new every morning, God, and you will care and you will supply for everything we may be going through, Lord. We decide to trust you today. Wherever we're at, whatever we're going through, Lord, we trust you today. In the name of Jesus, Lord, give us strength as we cling to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.